Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Yongsun Pak. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize uh, our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Yongsun as a person, Professor Pak as a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally, as a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Yongsun Pak is a professor of IB at Loyola Marymount University. He also is the director of the Center for Asian Business and director of Center for International Business Education. Yongsun's research is on international human resource management, business ethics, cross-border MAs, joint ventures, and East Asian business management. Yongsun is an editorial board member for the Journal of World Business and the Thunderbird International Business Review, and a former president of Association of Korean Management Scholars. He has published three books and over 60 articles in major international business and management journals. He received the Fulbright Senior Specialist Program Award, Korea Foundation Fellowship Award, Carnegie Bosch Institute Research Grant Award, Best Paper Award from the AOM, and Best Paper Award from the US Association for Small Business Entrepreneurship National Conference, among others. Thank you, Yongsun, for, for making time for us. Thank you so much, Andres. It's a great honor uh, to be selected one of the interviewees. Yeah, Thanks. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, uh, Yongsun. What did you want to become when you were a child? Well, I I wanted to become a House Speaker uh, or Congressman. <laughs> uh, my father ran for the uh, Korean Parliament uh, twice, but unfortunately, he failed both times. So. Oh. My childhood dream was to fulfill an, 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 an unaccomplished dream for my father. <laughs> wow. So, uh, politics, uh, are you still involved? Are you still uh, following it, pursuing it? Uh, yes and no. Um, I moved to the States uh, almost 40 years ago. Um, but, you know, Korea is still my mother country. They just had a uh, presidential election not too long ago. Um, so, yes, um, I, I'm interested in politics, although my character and personality, uh, I don't think I have a good qualification to become a good politician. So I think I made a right decision to become an academic instead of a politician. Yeah. Okay. Can you remember the earliest moment of awareness between domestic versus foreign? Sure. Um, I was born in Seoul, Korea, a couple of years after the end of Korean War. So at the time, it was quite common to see uh, GIs, American Army or Army forces, riding a jeep or a truck on the street. So I still vividly remember my childhood. I used to chase, you know, these vehicles asking for a chewing gum or chocolate. And I quickly noticed that they look different and speak a different language. At the time, of course, I didn't know that it was in English. Um, so I was probably about four or five years old. I already aware of the, you know, for the first time, there were people who had a different skin color and also speak different languages. Um, you probably know Korea is a very homogeneous society. So it was a very strange experience for me. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, how did you choose academia? You mean the Ivy Scholar? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I was always interested in uh, learning foreign languages. Um, I was introduced to English for the first time uh, in my junior high school. It was a lot of fun to learn a different language. Um, at the time, actually in Korea, there was a TV station called American Forces Korean Television Network, which stands for you know, mainly um, for the, uh, these uh, uh, American uh, forces. And I often watch the big sport event like Super Bowl and World Series uh, through AFKN. Um, so I became a huge Dallas Cowboy fans. And I watched that uh, football for the first time. And I didn't know that why it was called a football because most of the time, you know, they do not use feet. Instead, they use hands. So it was quite interesting. Um, that might be that one of the reasons, actually, that uh, later I chose University of Texas for my master's degree study in Latin American studies. Uh, before I learned English, actually, that I had to learn Chinese. I mean, the Chinese, uh, the characters or the letters, not conversational Chinese in my childhood. Uh, because at the time, a lot of Korean newspapers, uh, you know, you cannot read the newspapers uh, unless you learn a Chinese character. Then I learned German for three years in my high school. After graduating from college, I also learned Spanish and French. So at one point of time, I, I even considered pursuing my career as a diplomat. After I graduated from college, I joined the Export-Import Bank of Korea as a country economist. As part of my work, I developed my interest in Latin America uh, and also international political economy. And I was lucky because I was selected as a, one of the recipients of IT&T fellowship at the time uh, to pursue my master's degree in Latin American studies. So I would say that, you know, given my language proficiency and area study background, professional work experience at Korea Exim Bank, um, it was not really a difficult decision for me to choose international business as a field of my study. Although, to be honest with you, at the time, I didn't know much about the contents of IB. Perfect. Uh... Something uh, that is not on your CV that people might find interesting about you, like a hobby, like something personal. Sure. Um, you know, I'm pretty good at sports and music, and I played almost every sport uh, that used a ball, such as uh, ping pong um, or, you know, table tennis, golf, uh, tennis, baseball, basketball, <laughs> uh, you name it. And I also like singing and playing guitar. I've been learning and playing acoustic guitar since I was a freshman in college. So um, I guess I played probably that, uh, you know, more than or close to 50 years. I don't know whether you play golf or not. Uh, do you play golf? Uh, and uh, actually that I had a par four hole in one uh, five years ago. Um, if you play golf that you know how difficult it is. And uh, I know it happened only once in PGA Tour history. I'm not sure even Tiger Woods has ever done this. So this is quite a special achievement. And I have a first cousin, uh, Jim Pack, who played in the NHL, National Hockey League. 
And he was a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, who won the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions in the early 1990s. And he's currently a director of South Korean uh, national hockey team. So I'm a member of pretty, you know, good athletic family. <laughs> yeah, yes, in the genes. This yeah. is perfect. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you stopped being an academic, what would you do? What's the second best career path for you? Uh, yeah, I remember there were two critical moments in my life, uh, which influenced my career path. The first time came after I graduated from college. I was admitted to the Graduate School of Simultaneous Interpretation of Korea University of Foreign Studies. Uh, but my parents didn't want me to become an interpreter. Uh, as an interpreter, um, you know, you always uh, follow someone, um, kind of secondary person in their view. So um, you cannot become a principal, but kind of an agent all the time. So I decided to start my career as I said earlier, at the Export Import Bank of Korea as a country economist. Uh, and five years after I worked at the Export Import Bank of Korea, I quit my job and moved to the States to pursue my master's degree in Latin American studies at UT Austin. Uh, during my master's degree program, I learned a lot about development economics. So after finishing the master's program, I was faced with a decision-making whether I want to continue to pursue my academic study or change my career and work for the World Bank. Uh, there was a program called the Young Professionals Program, YPP. Um, it is a two-year leadership development program at the start of a five-year employment uh, contract uh, with the World Bank. So, you know, I could have pursued either a simultaneous interpreter or maybe that I could have ended up with working as an um, economist at the World Bank. Interesting. So this five-year program, uh, <clears throat> uh, this is after you get in uh, the, the company, the World Bank, they basically give you a five-year contract. Is, is that how it works? Yes, that's the five-year contract for the first two years. Actually, you start the program in the Washington, D.C., right? And intensive training on the job program and learning all these fundamentals of leadership and development operations across institutions. Um, so that was very attractive. And I think that uh, there's an age limit. Uh, you should be under 30 years old. So I was almost 30 years old. So... I was pretty ambivalent at the time whether you know this would be a good career track down the road or maybe I better pursue the PhD degree um, in international business. Uh, I see, I see. Yeah. Uh, regrets uh, in life. What is one thing you wish you would have done or done differently? Oh, I see. Okay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know I enjoy playing sports and singing, um, but I'm not good at sports that, which do not use a ball, such as swimming and biking. I wish I had learned uh, swimming and biking in my childhood. And I injured my knee about ten years ago when I was playing tennis. Um, I think that for my age, probably it would be better to bike or swim than keep playing tennis or golf. Uh, since biking and swimming gives less pressure on your knees. So that's one thing. And another thing, I wish I had taken a voice or singing lesson. Uh, 
um, when I was young um, so that I could become a you know better singer. <laughs> so those are the two things I think that um, I, I regret. Perfect. Yeah. For the sake of time, I'll, I'll switch to the research uh, portion. Okay. Um, say you're stranded in a small village, locals don't know anything about you, they're curious what you do for a living. How do you explain your research to people uh, who don't read jibs regularly? Well, I would say I'm a person who's interested in getting to know and learning about different people and try to help them succeed individually as well as at a corporate setting when they move to another country or work with a people from different countries. So my main research areas cover various issues related to international HRM. Uh, in the early days of my academic career, I've done a lot of research on expatriate management, including staffing, training, compensation, and repatriation. And actually two of my most cited papers investigate the MNC's ability to control international subsidiaries using expatriates and also how to improve repatriation management. Uh, more recently, my research interest became much broader, including business ethics, gender issues in international entrepreneurship and informal networks. My informal networks research also related to improving the effectiveness of expatriates. Um, you know, the you know, global managers are expected to be able to effectively resolve ethical dilemmas when conducting business across borders. I have examined the influence of globalization on national organizational cultures and their impact on ethical decision-making. Uh, one of my recent papers explored the influence of cultural convergence, divergence, and cross-vergence on business ethics. It is a comparative study between the US and China that investigates cross-cultural differences in managerial decision-making and the associated moral philosophy. So my research doesn't really focus exclusively on a specific topic. Most IB scholars are known for their expertise in a very narrowly focused field or the topic. I guess um, I'm kind of easily bored with the same or similar research topics. So I have recently worked together and even with my marketing colleagues uh, on the topic of consumer animosity. So, you know, anything that interests in the people, um, I would say that um, um, I'm willing to take a research. Perfect. Uh, things that are neglected, forgotten, omitted, uh, contexts, topics, concepts in IB research, things that we need to think more about. I see. Um, I would say probably the geopolitics. As an area study major, uh, as I said, my master's degree in Latin American studies and also former country economist, I think that we have to probably better understand the geopolitics as the context of our research. In order to understand the geopolitics, uh, you have to understand the history of the region or nations. For example, you can understand the war in Ukraine or denuclearization of Korean Peninsula unless you understand the historical backgrounds. I recently contributed a paper to AIB Insights special issue on IB education one of the main contributions of the IB 
I think it's to broaden the perspectives about business, not just to confine to a specific discipline. I know many of us have used the institutional framework in our research. However, nation states and role of government has not been studied enough. Um, so I think geopolitics is one of the one. And uh, another reason why I think it's important to learn history is because it helps to understand the culture much more deeply. I always tell my students, in order to understand culture, you have to learn history. Otherwise, you won't be able to understand people. If you don't understand people, you won't be able to understand culture. So I think the business is all about people. So I hope that we should do more research on people. Perfect. Uh, about uh, trends in IB research uh, from the past, when you were going through the pro program, uh, to the current one, especially after COVID, uh, after the pandemic. What's going to be the next phase? What will we see uh, along the way? Okay. Well, uh, DEI and sustainability, I believe, are continue to draw attention from IB scholars uh, because they reflect the current social issues facing many different countries. And young people, millennials, Generation Z, they're very passionate about social justice issue. So I believe that this will be the, one of the major topics that a lot of IB scholars will continue to tackle. And another thing is uh, technology is profoundly changing the nature of our work. So companies redefine how and where different tasks are to be carried out. From international HRM perspective, the COVID-19 health crisis and lockdown, as you know, it increased the remote workers. Some of them became so-called digital nomads for the first time in their life. That means what they can work anywhere, anytime. So digital nomad, um, it referred to an individual who worked remotely using information and communication technology. It also means that, you know, we probably have to uh, study more about the contingency workforce, how we're going to evaluate them and compensate, compensate them. I recently read an article, a country like Finland is using a very creative approach to recruiting global talent. Uh, Finland offered them a chance to try living in Helsinki for 90 days. Um, more than 5,000 people apply for the, you know, only the 15 op opening positions uh, to receive a relocation package offered by the Helsinki Business Hub. So all these phenomena, I believe that will have an impact on our research on global mobility. Uh, we'll probably see the continued reduction in companies assigned expatriates and increase in self-initiated expats so some of these expats will convert to so-called the expatpreneurs. And I believe this will be the new emerging field that bridges entrepreneurship and IB. Um, so at least this is my take um, from an you know, international HRM perspective. Thank you. Uh, about uh, growing uh, junior faculty, growing... Uh, PhD students uh, about advice and mentoring. Uh, what were the important uh, 
skills that you think is needed for uh, being successful in the field? Okay. Um, you know, from my own experience, um, speaking of research, the most difficult skills I had to develop was writing. And um, particularly, you know, as an immigrant scholar, uh, it was not easy to develop the skills, the writing skills, uh, which is good enough to, you know, accept it in the top journals. So I think that, you know, critical thinking and writing skills are essential to conduct the solid research and particularly in order to publish in the top journals. And also, I hope they will be able to develop communicating skills, communication skills. Uh, it required to become a good teacher. Um, specifically, I think that they have to develop uh, research ideas, skills to develop research ideas into the intriguing research questions. We all know the intellectual curiosity or inquisitiveness uh, should be the driving force. Um, LMU, we don't have a PhD program um, so I don't know much about the PhD students, uh, you know, in recent years, I graduated from top research universities, but I can share my experiences with the junior faculty colleagues uh, who often apply for the research grant. I often notice they don't clearly articulate research questions. Uh, you need to carve out most intriguing research questions and develop research framework and adopt appropriate methodology. In other words, you have to know the whole research process. Otherwise, it will be difficult to do something substantial if you don't see the whole picture of your research. And another thing I like to mention is, uh, you know, it's much easier for the junior faculty to analyze already collected data set rather than collecting primary data through observation. Um, I hope that PhD students uh, and junior faculty, um, they can develop a skills to conduct more deductive research. Um, deductive, re I'm sorry, the inductive research. Um, they're already familiar with uh, deductive research, which start with an existing theory, develop hypothesis, then collect data to test hypotheses. And I hope that uh, they will be able to develop skills to do more exploratory, uh, exploratory research for creating, uh, creating innovative and heterogeneous knowledge. So it would be great if they can also develop how to conduct uh, inductive research. Perfect. And uh, you said you uh, don't have a PhD program, but you're uh, reviewing for uh, these grants. Uh, you, you see the young faculty uh, uh -huh. apply for these things. Uh, what are some of the most uh, common mistakes uh, and shortcomings uh, in the applications that you see uh, that you say, you know, don't do it? Yeah. What, what, what's the common mistakes that you see? Um. As I said earlier, I, I think there's, um, they are not really clear cut about um, the intriguing research questions. Um, they have many ideas, but they are not able to sort out one or two really intriguing research questions. So to me, um, once you figure out um, 
the most interesting and intriguing research question, that's already halfway done. Uh, but a lot of times I saw these uh, junior faculty members that they're struggling with um, to make it more concrete and uh, narrowly focused and um, uh, intriguing research questions. And, uh, okay. Uh, and Yongsun, uh, after the pandemic, after the COVID uh, two year, two, two and a half year shutdown, uh, how is this going to impact uh, international nature? And uh, we got used to uh, dealing with everything on Zoom. Uh, expatriates has always been, uh, has, over the past 10 years, has been declining. Uh, how is the, uh, what's your prediction on the trajectory of international nature and research? Um, I think I already mentioned to some extent, uh, earlier I mentioned that we'll probably see the continued uh, reduced number of expats sent by these uh, multinational corporations uh, because of the opportunity offered by many different companies. Um, the companies can hire many people remotely. For example, you know, Chinese and Mexicans and French, they don't have to come to the US. Uh, they can still work closely uh, online uh, with the headquarters in the US. So one of the things I you know, expect will be that uh, we're gonna continue to see that the uh, more self-initiated experts, just like the, the case uh, example I share with you, a lot of countries now offering an incentives uh, for these um, you know, the professionals. Uh, they can either work at home or they can come over to the host country and stay there briefly, whether it's a three months or six months, uh, try to understand better whether they can continue to work with these people in an unfamiliar territory. So a lot of research on the, for example, expert adjustment is kind of disappearing. Um, so I think that we'll see the increase, uh, the research in this what the new virtual uh, global mobility and how you, you work with uh, the people from multiple locations without actually physically being there. So um, we'll see that, you know, how you can effectively work with uh, people from different cultures online and remotely and digitally. And that will be the one of the, I think that um, key subject of the HRM in the future. Perfect, thank you. Uh, well, for the sake of time, Last question, what's the question that I should have asked you about heavens? Um, well, probably I would say that work-life balance and particularly the young generation, uh, the many of them, uh, they do have a dual careers. So both spouses, uh, they work together. In the past, again, if I go back to the IHRM, um, uh, there has been some research that the, um, the expert adjustment because the one spouse stay at home. Um, but again, the, now you don't have to do it. Um, but at the same time, um, we will see that the increased number of people uh, staying at home and work together. So how are you going to balance right between your work and your family matters uh, would be that um, probably that they're one of the most challenging, um, I guess, that a lot of companies that has to provide 
um, some benefits, and otherwise you won't be able to uh, recruit the you know globally talented people. Um, we already heard that you know top companies like Google, Apple, Microsoft, they they are facing the problem to bring them uh, bring their workers back to the um, uh, physical place of work. Um, so I would say that that is one of the key challenges to many people. Even our conferences is like that too. I mean, think about it. Uh, traveling to right. overseas locations for, it's very difficult to justify it for a dean uh, to, to say, you know, you need $2,000 to go to that conference, 5,000 to go to that conference, if it is overseas, especially now that there is Zoom, which is free. Yeah. Right? You're so, absolutely right. Um, so that is why I think that this year the AIB is uh, hosting conference, the both in person and also remotely. So yeah. I, I think that a lot of conferences will be hybrid form in the future. Right. True. True. Sure. Uh, thank you so much, Youngjun. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again uh, for having me. And I really appreciate it. Thank you.